0: The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Tonight, we do begin a new series uh, that's going to take us through uh, the, the final three weeks of the quarter on the Proverbs. And even as, as Erica was sharing earlier, we're, we're looking at, at basically decision making. As we come to the end of the year, some of you know exactly what you're up to this summer. Others are still trying to figure it out. You might be headed home. And so we want to do a kind of a three week mini series on, on how does the Bible, how do these Proverbs and, and their bridge to the gospel guide us in making great decisions? Because we believe that, that Scripture helps us do that, and that that's what we, we get in these. So we're going to get that started, and tonight we get to hear from a, uh, a man that's become a great friend of mine. He has a background in college ministry. He formerly worked up at the inn at uh, Bellingham. Uh, So he he knows this context well. He was also the men's lead at Camp Furwood back in the day. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, I know many, many have been enthusiastically impacted by the ministry at Camp Furwood. He earned a Master's of Divinity at Regent Seminary. He has a lovely wife, Shannon and uh, two boys, Noah and Caleb. He is the pastor of young adults here at, at uh, UPC. So for those of you that are graduating, I invite you to get familiar uh, with John and uh, perhaps join him as you graduate at uh, another Tuesday night ministry that happens right across the hall ca- called Convergence. So all that to say, let's get our series kicked off. Please join me in welcoming my friend, John Epps. <laughs>
1: Well, thanks. I appreciate that. It is fun to be with you. Like Ryan said, I do have a background in college ministry. I love college ministry. I love what I'm doing now. But I, I came out of this place where I fell in, in love with college ministry up in, up in Bellingham. By the way, I love that you, know, you, can, always, you can always count on furwood people, right? It doesn't matter if they're the one person in, in the room. Yeah! <laughs> our own little cult, right? We've got our own little names for you guys to know. I was Shamu, uh, obviously, because I'm big as a whale. Um, listen one of the things I love about my job is that I actually get to I get to work with the human staff I, I, get to, I get to work with Ryan and, and all the rest of it I, I love it it's one of the best things I, I had gotten connected with this church years ago uh, I was like Ryan said I was up at the inn I was, I was an intern and then on staff there and during that time I had through Camp Furwood by the way one of the side bennies of Camp Furwood a honey um, not that I was going there for that or anything, but it only took me five years. Five years. I met this amazing woman named Shannon, and she was on she was a, an intern down here. And so I, I would drive down all the time and, and hang out with the staff down here a little bit. And it was hilarious walking into the office because I'd come in and and there was all the other interns that were just kind of like, Hey, what's up? You know, who's this hippie from Bellingham hanging out with one of our interns? Uh, but I eventually got to know a bunch of them. They became, they're actually great friends of mine now. Uh, it was during that time that I actually uh, met Ryan as well. I ended up staying in with a host family. I mean, I, I got taken in by UPC. It, it was one of those great experiences. You guys probably know interns have host families, which is this great experience where they get to live with a family. And they, uh, it, it's a way to kind of supplement them giving themselves over for a year of ministry. Well, this particular family not only hosted Shannon but they hosted me I would drive down on the weekends to see her and uh they would actually gave me my very own room which was great uh it challenged my masculinity I'll be honest it was uh, they gave me this big huge like four post uh bed draped in pink <laughs> deep shag like green carpet it was amazing it was like every it was like I'm thankful for the room but man they actually became great, great friends of ours. We had them uh, to our wedding. You, some of you guys have heard that expression, you know, wanting to make sure that, you, you know, you keep the right distance, you know, leave room from the Holy Spirit. You want to keep this thing, you know, good when you're dating, right? Well, they actually kept the whole floor in between us just to make sure nothing would happen. They put me on the third floor and, and shan in the basement, but I don't know what that says as far as their trust of me or anything else, but I'll just leave it at that. Well, anyways, I've known Ryan for about uh, 10 years, and, and I totally appreciate um, coming here, but I just feel like, man, talk about throwing a brother under the bus. Have, him, have someone come and talk about Proverbs after a whole series on sex, right? I mean, it's just, it's just like, great, we're going to talk about wisdom and discernment and decision-making, all that kind of stuff, after, you know, Q&A, and some of you are probably wondering, you're like, what? That whole thing is done? I mean, some of you are probably looking at your black bears. I'll, I'll be actually watching, making sure you're not going to that blog site right now. Uh, On the web. But here's the thing. This is this is good. This is good. This is great. This is really, really important because especially even in the areas of sexuality, we need to learn how to make good decisions. We have to learn how, how somehow we can, we can get into this place where we're, we're not kind of tripping up over ourselves all the time. But, but here's what I also know. I know that you take something like wisdom, and, and it's easy to check out on that. It's easy to, to be like a wisdom. Man, what, what is that? Is that even something that that is for me right now? I mean, I'm busy. And wisdom is something that you just kind of get. It sort of automatically comes in. You get gray hair. You know, and then you get in. Eventually, you're sitting on a porch in a rocking chair, back and forth, talking about back in my day we didn't do this and we didn't do that. Right, that's wisdom. Got little pithy sayings that you can come out, but but really, we don't have time for that now. I mean, we got too much stuff going on. And for that matter, you think about wisdom; it, it, it's something that, that that is it's not fun. It, it seems actually difficult. I mean, you think about some of us have some hilarious stories of stuff that we've done that we would regret now. Right, you, you look at comedies, I mean, comedies, again and again, I, I was hearing a, I was reading a, an article uh, from the, the writers of uh, Superbad and, and some of that whole genre of movies, and and, and the interviewer were saying, hey, listen, you, which is a dumb question anyways, but they're saying, listen, why aren't your characters more mature? Why are they so immature? And, and the immediate response, of course, is, maturity isn't funny, right? Maturity just isn't funny, and yet, Even in some of these comedies, there's a sense of like, where does that go? That hopefully you don't stay in this place where you're bumbling over yourself and you're making huge errors. See, wisdom can't be just something that is out there. Because hopefully, we don't want to live lives that are are just a comedy for somebody else. And we know more than that, that, that... it, there's stuff that we've done that we just laugh at and it's hilarious, and yet there's stuff we realize that that, that we just didn't know what was going on, that, that there was this immaturity in us, this lack of wisdom, this foolishness that is not only not funny, it's actually been devastating. Devastating to us, devastating to people around us. we, we got to get a different view of vision. Here's the thing though, I also know when we talk about discernment, or decision making. This, this this word discernment comes up, and, and there's there's a lot of confusion on that as well. So I need two volunteers. Come on, two volunteers. I'm gonna pick you if I if somebody right here. This is a man of action right here. This is what I need. What's your name? Michael. Michael. Very nice. Michael, come right over here. All right. Come on. I need someone super spiritual. Sell out one of your friends. Right now. Right now. Right now. All right. This person just got sold out. Come on. All right. Come on up here very nice. Look at that. Becca and Michael, very nice. Give them a hand. Okay, we're going to talk about Okay, you guys are going to be dumb and dumber, right? No, I'm just joking. Here's what we want to do. When we talk about discernment, a lot of times what we're talking about is this sense of d- decision making. It, and there's a lot of confusion, like I said, when it comes when we when we come to this place where we try to interact Faith with that. On one hand, there's an action camp, and Michael's a man of action, right? I mean, just look at him. He's just he just pulls the trigger. He knows when to do it. And so, when it comes to decision making, we think, look, this is really what this is all you can know. You, you gotta just make the decision. Just make it happen. Really, you don't have a lot of time to look into things. You just pull the trigger. That's great. But and what ends up happening is that you actually have little time. For, for jesus in the midst of it in fact most of what you do is you just say well i'm going to try and not be an idiot and most of us can figure out how not to be totally dumb we can probably figure out how how we can live you know fairly wisely fairly successfully in life and so what happens is discernment comes in and we kind of just sprinkle a little bit of jesus on our on our decisions that are really based on the scripts that we get from media, from culture, from everything else it has little to do with our faith, right? But at least we're moving forward. But then on the other side, and some of us probably find ourselves in this spectrum somewhere, on the other side is this, right? We got the prayer camp over here, right? This is a Jesus <laughs> camp, right? We want to take faith super seriously, and, and so, but sometimes what happens is we get paralyzed because we think if i'm going to make a decision if i'm going to ask god kind of god's advice into the midst of this i got to pray and i got to pray and i got to pray and i got to hear exactly what god wants me to do about everything and i can't move forward until i know exactly 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 what i'm supposed to do down to specifics so i pray and i pray and i pray and i read and i read and i read and sometimes we get desperate and so what we do is we start flipping through i'm just looking for any old thing boom and then you you land on just some bizarre passages right in Leviticus, you're like, no, that can't be right. That's, that's illegal, for that matter. Okay, so you keep flipping through, you keep flipping through, you keep flipping through. Now, here's the thing. It looks like we're being spiritual over here, doesn't it? But in both cases, there's something to write because over here is, is this paralysis. And I wonder this, if we're to be really honest. That sometimes what we want, when we, when we want God to tell us exactly what to do, is that we want God to take the responsibility for our decisions. That what we want is somehow we want God to guarantee that everything is going to work out just right. And so when it doesn't work out right, we can go, well, man, it was God's decision. It's not my, it's not my fault. So there, there's, a, there's something that is awry in both of these. All right. Thanks, you guys. Good job. <laughs> There's something that's awry in both of these. And in between, what we're called to is this dynamic tension, this interaction, in which there needs to be we need to move in a discernment that goes beyond simply like, okay, what's my apartment going to be, and which job should I take? And should I have tacos or hamburgers, right? That's not discernment. God's giving you a brain, He wants you to use it. We need to move discernment simply from decision making and tie it in to wisdom. See, there's a sense that wisdom, what wisdom is really about is how do we actually live well while we're here on earth? How do we live well while we're here in earth? How do we pick a path in life in which we put our, our weight down on things that really matter? How do we pick a path in which we become people of substance, the beginning of Proverbs gives us a sense of, of where the goal of what this is. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, okay? That's up on the screen, I think, for us. we reading the very beginning. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables and the sayings of riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So, what, what is this? What is this? What's the goal of all of this? Well, we read this that, that hopefully we're going to grow in such a way that we grow in knowledge and, and insight. That we don't bumble around just because we didn't know. We don't trip over things that we, we should know about. Okay, there's, there's knowledge. But, but then there's also the development in the midst of this of character and discipline. So that we don't actually throw ourselves under the bus and waste our time. So that even if we might vaguely know or, or, or know even what is the right way, we're so driven by something else that we end up doing what we know is wrong anyways. There's a development of character and discipline to to live into what I know. There's a sense of integrity in that. Because if we do, we actually can get into a place in which we become people who seek out and do what is right and just and fair. We can become people of substance doing justice in this world. The writer goes on and finishes to say that, that where you start, where you start is with fear or reverence and awe of God. Now, throughout the Proverbs, there's this, there's this interplay that goes on. It's a personification of wisdom, which is interesting, because because it's going to get at where we're going, which discernment and decision-making is not just a, how can I pick a fact out of here? How can I somehow get truth that will sort of just do something for me? But discernment is a conversation that happens So throughout, like especially in in chapter 8, we hear this personification of wisdom calling out to us. Listen to me. I want to lead you into places of life and fruitfulness and joy. But you also have screaming out at you the personification of folly that is yelling at us. Follow me this way. Here's an easy way. Here's Here's the easy way to go. Even though on the other side of that is death and destruction. Let me give, a, let me give a, a definition for us of wisdom and folly that maybe will help us as we begin to think about what does it mean to be a discerning people, to make people who make good decisions. The first is this, for folly. Now, these are not the best definitions in the world. You could probably find better ones. These are ones that just struck me as I, was, as I was looking into this and trying to be guided by what the scripture was saying. Here's what struck me. that What's folly? Okay, That's kind of a funny word for us anyways. We don't use it all the time. But folly is this, folly is living in a fantasy either through lack of knowledge or lack of will in which you are the only and highest authority where the immediate and where the immediate is supreme. Okay, this is what I mean by that. Folly is this, you're living in a fantasy. In which there is no greater authority but yourself. Your own self-interest is the highest and greatest thing that can possibly happen. And you're living in a fantasy because you're, you're you're not taking in the long view, but you're being driven by the immediate. And the immediate can be a lot of different things. It can be your desires at that moment. It can be an immediate crisis that is going on around you. You're living in a fantasy land because you're living as if there are no repercussions down the road, either for yourself or for other people. Some of us maybe know what that is. When we've made those decisions, when we realize, man, I was making a decision not based on reality but based on fantasy in which everything, it was just about me and it was about that, the immediate moment and man, I regret what happened after that. So wisdom, let's flip this. Wisdom then is, is the convergence or the coming together of knowledge and disciplined action in which the Holy God revealed in Jesus Christ is supreme. Wisdom is the convergence of knowledge and discipline action in which the Holy God revealed in Jesus Christ is supreme. It is to say that yes, what I desire is important, but there is something that is bigger that is bigger than me that is supreme, that I am following something bigger than simply my immediate needs at the moment, the things that I think that I have to have in this exact moment. And and not only that, but I've sought out knowledge and I'm willing to act on that knowledge, even if that action is going to be difficult, even if it's going to lead me into a, a tough place. One of my favorite writers is a guy named Gordon Smith on this. And if you want, you can ask me about the book afterwards. And he says this, that our discernment or our decision-making does not lead to absolute infallible and irrefutable answers, but only to an assurance that we are living and working in response to God. Our decision, our discernment does not lead to absolute infallible and irrefutable answers, but only to an assurance that we are living and working in response to God. And here's why that's important. Because this absolutely is about a conversation we have. In which we, we are taken very seriously as, as agents who can make decisions. And we take God very seriously in what he is about in this world. If we try to go after an irrefutable answer, we will never find it. You will sit in paralysis your whole life. Not only that, you will be asked, if we truly understand decision making and discernment, you will be asked to do things that those around you think are ridiculous. I guarantee it. But then the question that we have to follow that up with is if I'm sitting in a madhouse and the thing that I think and the decision I make sounds crazy to people who are crazy, it's probably right. There are going to be situations in which you might even be in right now and certainly you're going to walk into in which the decision that you are going to step, you're going to step out on is going to sound crazy to people, but it actually might be the thing that actually brings transformation tell you a story about that in a little bit. So here's my heart for you. As we begin to open this series on decision making, that, that my challenge to you is to seek the voice of wisdom. And you're going to grow in, in authenticity and impact. Seek the voice of wisdom and you're going to grow in, in authenticity and impact. Let me explain a little bit what I mean. Let's look over in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Okay, Paul picks up on some similar language, uh, real close to what the beginning of Proverbs looks like. Paul says this, This is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless unto the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God says this, look, I want your love, th- this love that sprang up when, when you came to faith in Christ. I, I want that love to not just be kind of a, of a nice feeling, a, a, of an, a, kind of a, an immediate reaction that is great and then bubbles down and turns into nothing. I want that love to, to go deep. I want you to, want you to have a, a knowledge and a depth of insight. And in, in what those words mean, when you kind of look at the background uh, with the Greek, is knowledge is a sense that I want you to be able to see right into the heart of the matter. And to be able to do that, I want you to have a knowledge of how God works, what he values, what he's about, what breaks his heart, what brings him joy. I want you to be able to see beyond all the fluff into the very heart of the matter. And then not only that, I want you to have a depth of insight, which is getting at the sense of I want you to be able to grasp the significance of what is going on. And so be able to make a decision to be able to pull the trigger. Because I want you to be able to discern what is best. And here is where the conversation comes in. I want you to know what I am about. I want you to know the ways of life. And then I want you to make the decision. Do you see how now we're talking about conversation? It's not just deciding whatever I want. It's getting to know Jesus to such an extent that I go, Man, I know that this is what you would want for me to do. I want you to choose not only what is good, not only what is okay, not only what is acceptable, not only what people will pat me on the back for. I want you to be able to choose what is best. And here's the deal. Right now, we are inundated with decisions. Inundated. There's a million and one good things that you can be a part of. And if you pursue every single one of them, you will just burn yourself right out. Paul says, I want you to be able to discern what is best. Because if you do, here's the result that's going to come out of it. The result is that you're going to be pure and blameless. Now, let me talk about that again. You kind of read it, you're pure and blameless. What's that about? I think sometimes we make the mistake of purity and being blameless. And purity especially with this era kind of of sexuality. But it's really not. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. Blessed are the pure in spirit. He begins his Beatitudes. On the right road are the pure in spirit. For they... Uh, the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then what I think he does is in chapter 6, he goes on and he says, let me illustrate this and what this looks like for you. When you get up and you pray, don't do so so that everybody thinks you're really hyper-spiritual and great. When you pray, do so in private so that and do it before your Heavenly Father. When you give, don't do it in such a way that you kind of announce with every, announce to everybody, look at me, I'm so great, I'm so spiritual, I'm giving all this money. Do it, do it so that nobody knows. Do it before your Heavenly Father. If you fast, or when you fast, it's not even a question, when you fast, do it so that people don't look at you and go, oh man, oh, you look like you're really suffering for the Lord. Get a pat on the back. Do it before your Heavenly Father so that nobody knows. And here's what he's trying to say. Here's the purity. Here's what he's tied to purity of heart. Here, I don't want you to have... I don't want you to be divided. I don't want you to act like you're doing one thing. Praying, giving, fasting. Like you're doing it for God. But what you're really doing is actually doing it for the accolades of people around you. So that people will, will boost you up. It reeks, doesn't it? Because we know that somebody like that is really what we call a hypocrite. But when we do it, when we act with a purity of heart, what happens is that what we put off is authenticity because people know. I don't know what's going on with that person, but I know that there is an authenticity to them in their heart, but also in their actions. They're not blowing smoke. They're not trying to look good. They just are who they are. And they're driven somehow by something that is very different than what I understand. He goes on and he says, here, I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Again, righteousness is this weird word for us that we don't get a hold. But if we were to get a hold of righteousness, if we were to become a community that is known for righteousness, this would be the most attractive community ever. Righteousness is about being totally in right relationship with everything around us, with God, with our neighbor, with ourselves even, with the creation that God has mandated us to take care of and to steward. Right? Relate, being filled with the fruit of righteousness is a sense that God is doing a transforming work in me because I am following His voice. I am discerning what is actually best. And so He is transforming me. And so I'm beginning to transform the relationships all around me. I'm not at conflict with those around me. Those around me who I work with, I go to school with, trust me. Because they know that there's an authenticity to me. But also that my word is good. That I will follow through. That that they can trust me and I'm not going to stab them in the back. You, You look around you see someone who actually restrains. Their own needs and their own desires so that creation can actually flourish, can be well stewarded. That they will restrain themselves so that others can flourish. You go, that's something that's attractive. That's the righteousness that had sinners flocking around Jesus. It's also the righteousness that had Jesus calling out the things that were terribly, terribly wrong with the religious system of the day with the Pharisees. It's a righteousness that has huge impact whether people see it or not. Well, here's the deal, you think, great, I want to follow God's voice, but how do I have any sense of assurance that I am following God? It's, it, it, I don't see God, I don't necessarily feel like I audibly hear God. So, so where's that assurance? How, how am I, in the world am I supposed to make a decision? Well, the assurance that we get comes through a peace. At the very heart of discernment is peace, and that's what we need to seek, and that's the voice that we need to be listening for. And when I mean peace, it's this. It's a sense of joy and contentment, serenity. It's a sense that everything is all right. That even when you're making a a really brutal decision, maybe even to to break up with somebody, maybe even to say a hard word to somebody, that at at, at the very heart of it is a sense of like, yeah, this is right. This is right. That we need to seek that peace because that voice is the voice of God. Because God is is the voice of peace. So let me throw out a couple of things developed by St. Ignatius. St. Ignatius was part of the Counter-Reformation. Some of you may or may not know that there was a split in the church from the Catholic Church to the Protestants. Because they looked at the Catholic Church and they go, man, this is just a mess! What in the world? So they started pulling away and there were those that stayed with the Catholic Church and said, yeah, it's a mess, but let's reform it. And so St. Ignatius came up uh, with some things I want to share with you tonight, to think about how do I begin to discern what, what the voice really sounds like, what he gives us, and, and what I want to challenge you with is one commitment and four questions. And the first commitment is this, that we make no decisions in desolation. Okay, again, let me define that a little bit for it. Desolation is that sense of anger, depression, discouragement, inner tor- turmoil, disease, comfort. Discomfort, anxiety, fear, condemnation, guilt, dryness. Do you guys, get the, you guys get the sense? You guys with me? Yeah? Okay, no decision. If you forget everything else, this is the one thing that you need to hold on to. No major decisions in places of desolation. Because the voice that you're listening to is not the voice of God. If you're listening to anger and fear and anxiety, you are not listening to the voice of God. And this goes against everything that we, that we have come to, to grow up and expect in our culture. If things are difficult, we think, I've got to get the heck out of here, right? This can't be God, because God only wants good things for me. And so if this is a, a difficult place, I've got to get out of here. The, the problem is that not that God has sent a difficult situation into your life, but there might be something that you need to learn in the midst of that. And if you hop out of there too quickly... You might be missing something significant that God wants to do in your life if you just chase after what is easy. Okay, here's an example. Maybe maybe this is you. Maybe you know somebody who's like this. Somebody who goes from situation to situation. And for some reason, it always seems to go bad. Right, They go from church to church, from community to community, from ministry to ministry. They, they go from school to school. They go from job to job. And everywhere they go, man, it's always their fault. Now this isn't working good. People aren't giving me the strokes that, that, that I need. They're not patting me on the back the way they should. They're not recognizing my gifts. And so they, they bounce from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Well, that church is bad. That church is bad. That church is bad. That ministry is no good. And all the while, it might very well be that the discomfort they're feeling is something significant that God wants to do in their lives. That perhaps the issue is not them, but me. This is just a practical thing because when our brains are under stress, we make horrible decisions. Okay, when you are filled with anxiety, you are not going to make a good decision. Your brain is just not functioning. Okay, some of you guys seen like Bo- the whole Bourne series, right? Jason Bourne, Bourne Ultimatum, right? Okay, with me? So Bourne, Bourne Ultimatum. Here's an example. Bourne Ultimatum. Uh, this reporter, right? Jason Bourne is he's kind of a super spy, assassin guy. He's on the loose. CIA is trying to, to get him. Uh, trying to trying to, to reel him back in. Well, a reporter gets wind of this, and he's smelling a conspiracy, right? So he's all over it. He's thinking this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get this. I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be famous. But pretty soon, he finds that he's being actually hunted down with Jason Bourne by by assassins that are trying to kill him and Bourne. Right? He starts hyperventilating. He starts getting really nervous. They come to this they come to this place where he's about to run out into a huge crowd, and Bourne's going, "No, you just got to wait. You just got to wait." Something's not right about this. Something's not right. And he's like, no, I got to get out of here. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. I can go. I can make it. I can make it. I can make it. And he bolts out, right? What's the first thing that happens? Boom! Sniper takes him out, right? Blows him away, right? And you're just like, you're that dude. You're that dude, right? There's, in the movies, there's always that dude, right? It's when things get a little bit hairy, you see the guy gets really itchy and sweaty, right? And you're like, oh, dude, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, you ran in front of the truck. <laughs> okay, no decisions in desolation. Don't be that dude. All right, four questions. Okay, if we're going to seek peace, we have to ask further questions. Is this truly a peace from God or is this something else? Is this a false peace? And so the first question is this. Does this violate scriptural ideals and mandates? Does this violate scripture and uh, scriptural ideals and mandates. In other words, it's this. You can have a sense that, hey, this feels right. This feels good. I feel everything seems great. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the voice of God. Okay, you might think, you might be under stress and you might think, hey, you know what I need to do? I need to take this person out. That's not the voice of God. All right? <laughs> I, I need to rip this person. Not the voice of God, right? You might feel a peace about it. That's not the voice of God. Here's where it ties into what you just talked about. Right? You might think, hey, listen, I, I'm going to move in. I'm going to move in with this person that I, that, I, that I really love. Man, you know, we know each other a little bit. Man, I, I think we, it's about time we, we start having sex. Hey, it feels good to me. Seems right. I love this person. Man, that goes against the ideal that Scripture holds out for us for our sexuality. That's not the voice of God. Second thing is, does this lead to growth or to comfort? This decision that's popping up, and you have the sense, and you're testing it, you're saying, okay, is God's in this? Does this lead to growth or comfort? And the question is this, are you simply taking the easy way out of something? Are you choosing mediocrity? Over growth? Or are you choosing to, to kind of shoot low because it just would be easy? Maybe you're in a, in a bit of a stressful situation and you go, you know, what would be really easier, what would make me feel at peace, all right, is if I just kind of bail out of this. But it's not the voice of God. God is always going to call you in, into places of growth. Now, as I, I was talking with some folks or do a speaking team with me, um, with convergence and, and, and one person made this comment that I just loved because it was so honest he said you know sometimes honestly I'm scared of what God is going to call me into because it is going to be way bigger than me way beyond me and it freaks me out so I'm actually scared to hear what God might want to say so it's easy for me to want to just go well this would be the easy way the problem is later down the road we're going to look back and we're going to look at that time that decision with regrets because we simply chose what is easy. God's got something big for you. Don't sell yourself short. Third, does this lead to avoidance? In other words, does this decision... And this gets at our busyness that we all have. And I'll be honest, I am someone... I'm an active person and it's so easy for me to get to get busy. But does this question... Uh, uh, does this lead us into a place where we simply get busy and allows us to avoid things that we really need to do? Am I so busy that I have no time for prayer? Am I so busy that I have no time to engage in fellowship in a small group or in significant family relationships? Am I so busy? And and here's the twist on it. Am I so busy, actually, because I like people to notice that I'm busy. I like people to always kind of get a sense of... Man, that person, man, John, he's just so busy. He must be really important. He must be doing something. They, that, that really what this is, I'm making decisions. They, they, they look good. But they're actually leading me in the wrong direction. Sometimes we get the sense that we are absolutely called to everything. And that's absolutely not the case. You are called to choose what is best and what is best for you. Don't let your identity get sold out due just to busyness and the fact that you feel like you're productive, while well, all the time you're avoiding the work that God has for you. Lastly is this, is an, is an examination of our motives that sometimes even we might have a sense that even in, in worship, in, in prayer, there's this idea that pops up. And what we need to do is we just need to be brutally honest about our motives and ask, what, what was the context in which this popped up? Was it anger? Was it anxiety? Was it Disappointment? Was it a sense of being persecuted? We might have an idea that comes up in a sense of prayer. We have to ask, maybe what that is, is it feels holy, but I'm going to test it. I want to be discerning. I want to see, is this actually my response to not feeling appreciated? To feeling like somebody wronged me, and so I'm going to take a course of action that that looks kind of pseudo-spiritual, but really pretty devious. We've got to be honest about our, our motivations. And, and this is a real issue of authenticity, you guys. I, as I sat with a, a guy that I absolutely love, we, we have lunch all the time, and, and he's exploring faith, and he's doing it slowly. I mean, he doesn't want to jump in all the way. I, he, he wants it to be absolutely real, and I love that about him. And, and one of the things that he just wishes, is that sometimes people say, well, you know, God told me this, and God told me that, and God told me this, and all this kind of stuff. And, and what they're really saying is, God told me to break up with this guy. Well, no, you just don't want to be with this guy anymore. Did God really tell you that? There's a humility that comes in this that we need to challenge ourselves with to say what is what is really going off going on in our motivation. Well, here's the deal, you guys. The voice of wisdom is calling out to you and it's calling out to me, saying, "I want you to respond and, and follow me right right now." Don't wait for it to passively come to you someday. Choose it this day. Choose it this day. Are you, can you slow down enough to hear my voice? Are you courageous enough to follow me even into to difficult places? Because what I want to work out in you is, is something that is it goes beyond just everything kind of working out nicely. I want to create in you kingdom impact. I want to draw you into myself. I want you to know a power that goes way beyond what you even can comprehend or even imagine. I want to lead you into places not where you avoid pain, but where you can take on pain and actually bring transformation into that. that that's the voice that is calling out to us right now. I want to lead you into a place in which you are going to become free from the bonds that folly has led you into. When you've chosen what what is easy, when you've chosen what is simply in your best interest instead of anybody else's, when you've responded to the immediate and you're now in bondage because of that, because of the bad decisions that you have made, I want to lead you out of that. I want you to be free. I want you to live with impact and with authenticity. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for how you guide us. Thanks that you haven't left us alone. Lord, thank you that you take us seriously enough to engage us in conversation. Lord, you don't just tell us what to do, but you want to lead us into a place in which we learn what you're about and so make decisions according to that. Lord, I pray for these guys that they would begin to, to grow in this. And Lord, I pray for grace upon us because it is hard we don't get it right, right off. But I pray that they would be able to capture a sense of you in your voice. They begin to learn what that sounds like in their lives. That, that you lead them into places in which you accomplish in them more than they could possibly ever imagine. But I pray this all in your name. Amen.